So we're welcoming Miranda Lowe today, Principal Curator at the Natural History Museum, who has a specialism in marine invertebrates. So thank you very much for agreeing to tell yeah, us about you. your plant medicine research, which yeah. sounds a bit of a divergence yes, today. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so if you'd like to, like to love to start off and find out about how you ended up in this job and uh, what you research and um, what inspired you to look at plants as medicines and the angle okay. of that. Well, um, I started off at the museum as actually um, an assistant curator or at the time, because we were very closely, our job roles or our job titles were closely um, related to the um, civil service. So it was assistant scientific officer an ASO. Um, and I'd always wanted to do something, have a job in science. So before arriving at the museum, I um, worked for, for loosely for government in what is now known as the um, Food uh, Standards Agency, um, but it was mainly a desk job, um, you know, kind of not far from the Houses of Parliament. Um, in fact, my boss at the time would have been Edwina Curry. It just shows you how far back <laughs> or, or how old I am that goes. Um, that was a temporary role. And then um, I did some work at St George's Hospital in their medical school um, research. So that was within a lab, research on rheumatoid arthritis, kind of as a lab technician as well, setting up practicals for trainee doctors and nurses. So all of those scientific roles, but, but nothing um, that was permanent in employment and um, then I saw the role for um, assistant curator of marine invertebrates um, at the Natural History Museum it was advertised that role was advertised at the same time as another job where the museum was just about to um, set up um, a molecular lab to do DNA sequencing and maybe th that kind of role might have been more akin to the laboratory role I had um, at St George's Hospital kind of you know well you know I was doing DNA work doing DNA sequencing and things um, but I didn't go for that job I went for this this one in the zoology department because I very I have a very curious mind um, and um, I, you know I just wanted to know what that job would be like because it was pre-internet as well it was 1991 <laughs> that's how long ago it was um, since I started here and um yeah, I, I remember visiting the museum a lot as a child, so my parents were very good at that. And um, when I reflect, I've had cause to reflect on it a lot more, sort of thinking at the time when they were doing it as a, as a you know, a black family, I sort of think, God, that's pretty amazing, you know, that they were just taking us to all these places now where everybody's talking about, you know, decolonising spaces and we're not getting enough diverse audiences in. But, you know, they um, were one of the few that were, taking their family every Sunday and visiting the Natural History Museum, British Museum, went there a lot. Uh, I knew from a young age, actually, I've got a little little book that does um, that's entitled The Elgin Marbles, but we no longer call it that. It's mm. the Parthenon Marbles. But, you know, at a young age of like seven, six or seven, I, I knew about that stuff. I've still kept, that shows what a curator I was, still kept all those little young people's guides to museums, as you know, and it's evidence that way. Well, <laughs> you, you may look because it's actually true. Um, <laughs> and I recognise this. <laughs> recognise those traits. <laughs> yeah. 
as somebody working in a museum, I get, I get, I get where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, inside the cover of a lot of my books as a child, um, they were arranged to size order, not alphabetical. So they have, um, I think, M for Miranda, and then it was one, two, three, four, five, six, and I think M one was the biggest book, and then it went, yeah, that's it went fantastic. Up. Yeah, so it wasn't so even it was, number system; it was your own. It was my own in pencil. I mean, so there is evidence you can see them in some of these books that my mum still has. In the stars, wasn't it? I know. When I think about it, I obviously didn't appreciate it then. <laughs> I was just doing my thing. But now I think, oh wow! But it also shows like how important it is to access. Uh, museum spaces mm. how how that does affect you as a young person yes, and, and it other does. things that you exposed to as a child how that affects your it um, really does your later career because mm. I would have said the same thing like going to visit open spaces and museums yeah. again made me interested in that kind of World. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, it, it made me um, curious and interested in, um, you know, a lot of things. Yes, because I think then that kind of tapped into my interest in photography as well. Um, you know, amateur photography. So my family were always buying me, you know, the latest camera. And for a very long time, I resisted digital photography because <laughs> I always wanted to have, you know, that roll of film. And then obviously as more digital photography became more accessible and everybody's a photographer now, um, um, it's more expensive to develop your own film and all the rest of it, but uh, we're well, just delaying so, so many talents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I feel know. Like I've had such a lazy life now. <laughs> Like, I'd like to look at photography, but I don't know um, how to. It, yeah, I, I just uh, because I I probably live, sleep, breathe every everything to do with museums, nature, mm. culture. So it, it it is me. So I don't. It just all slots in somehow. So before you got this job as well, had you worked with Marine? Um, no, no, no. That's an interesting thing. So no, I did a degree in applied biology. Um, and I was really good. I remember getting a merit in my um, degree unit on immunology and things like that. So you could see why I was at um, initially at the um, at uh, St George's Hospital. Mm -hmm. um, so I the only thing you know I I was an avid reader always in the local library so in terms of zoology and animals it was a lot from hard copy kind of books down the library or visiting um you know zoos um for what they were then and um you know places of nature like, like for instance the family holiday for a number of years the best part of 10 years um was to the Isle of Wight and for me that seemed like I was going to another another country completely you know as a kid you sort of think god that's far far away where I'm going <laughs> and um and then you know even more beautiful open spaces on that island as well um so I have a lot of lovely memories of the scenery and the coastline and you know picking up shells as you do as a kid mm. collecting shells or stones looking Still for do. the smooth stones <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> and even for some of the smooth stones I would then um you know, um, use felt tip to make designs on them and then lacquer the stone with, um, you know, clear nail varnish, all those kind of things Gosh, I, I remember doing. <laughs> See, that's a children's thing. This we is, got same minds. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. So now, if you see anybody, any child doing these things, these are... <laughs> recruit them into yeah. early career curators. That's right, early, yeah. Um, so, 
And, oh, yeah, I had an interest in horses as well um, because at that time, so from South London, Clapham, I still live there, um, that there used to be on Clapham Common the Greater London, Ho London Horse Show. And so that's where my love for horses sort of started because my mum always used to take us there. I remember Princess Anne um, used to ride there a lot um, as well in that show. And then um, we used to go to the Cotswolds sometimes on trips and visit um, Shire Horse Centres. Mm -hmm. So I used to collect Shire Horse figurines as well and do a lot of photography and drawing of, of horses. So that was my zoology. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's it. So maybe not so much in a, a official qualification capacity, but um, just in, a, you know, well, a part of growing up. Um, yeah and um, seeing everything live and living and having access to it. It's interesting because um, I think, I think lots of people end up coming to what they do mm. completely indirectly sometimes and it's not any That's it, yeah, that's it. So, oh, um, yeah, it was good to, you know, that um, despite my qualifications, I was still, um, you know, I was able to get a job here. It was at the, the bottom of the run of the ladder, but uh, nonetheless, you know, I think they realised the enthusiasm and passion that I had for the natural mm -hmm. world and having such a curious mind. And they were looking for somebody to train, mm -hmm. actually, as well, because, you know, here at the museum, there are a lot of specialists. There are people that come, you know, worldwide to visit the collections. And, and so that's how I, I learned from them, uh, you know, for the first eight years of my career. I, I you know, near enough on a daily basis had um, access to um, my own microscope in the lab and I sat next to somebody else who um, taught me how to look at um, tiny shrimpy things called amphipods um, and you know having that access with an expert near enough every day mm -hmm. sort of showing what to look at with a microscope mm -hmm. you wouldn't get one that for the one to one you wouldn't get that in university no, at all yeah and um yeah and i was getting paid you know getting paid a salary well, as well even doing better. <laughs> even better and having access to that you know oh, i think I, so yeah it's great it's such a perfect job oh, oh yeah um yeah. okay so um Thank you for explaining that. Um, mm. If you could then explain how you ended up researching yeah. your uh, more recent project, working on medicinal plants and, mm. and the story behind that. Well, um, it all goes back to 2007, um, when a lot of cultural institutions were commemorating the um, abolition of the transatlantic slave trade at the anniversary. Um, and in that year, a lot of institutions were, um, you know, had various talks relating to that, to that topic and theme. And here at the museum, um, we had a community engagement group that were inviting in um, uh, people of Caribbean heritage and people of colour at various communities into the museum to talk about their relationship with um, a lot of these plants that came from Africa and the Caribbean. And um, as a result, there was a really amazing document that the museum produced. It was nine chapters and it was called um, Slavery in the Natural World. Brilliant document. And I remember having access at that time to the document. It was um, mainly in a digital format. Um, and I just remember several stories in chapter two i think it was that resonated with me about you know people of color and 
um, some of the um, European scientists that um, were collecting at a time when, you know, there was um, en enslaved Africans um, and their labour being used for collecting and so forth. And um, I wanted to develop those stories further. And it, this was something that I was doing just in my own time. Um, I didn't feel at the time that I could justify any work time on it. And also I felt, well, I'm not officially a historian. <laughs> uh, I'm a mere curator just doing my thing, looking after historical collections. I'm not officially. Um, so, and, and because, you know, these kind of things fascinate me. I do a lot of extra stuff in my spare time until I sort of think, oh, right, now here it is ready to be produced and, and I'll go to someone in the institution and say, can I have time for this? You know, I think it will fit into these kind of um, themes or aspects of the way the organisation is going. But for this, these stories in particular, um, I wanted to develop my own tour on it. But the time, I felt the time was never right. So this is from 2007 to 2018. So it's literally, you know, um, what, 10 years or so, 10, 11 years. Um, in that time, the document itself, various chapters of the document I couldn't find online. Um, but what was happening in the meantime, there was this, again, a, a rising kind of trend, a thing that people outside the sector were beginning to talk about the topic of decolonizing spaces, decolonization, you know, repatriation up again, restitution, all those things were, were, were resurfacing. And um, also politically, things were beginning to change. Things have changed and will, will be changing, but a lot more worldwide, you know, topics on climate change as well was developed. People wanted to have their say, wanted their voice heard. And so decolonisation was all, is all part of that. And I was sort of thinking, ah, oh, changing the narrative. The tour and the stories I want to develop could be part of it. And I'm thinking, how am I going to be able to fulfil what I'm thinking and get it out there? Because this will be good for the museum I work in and for others. Um, so it wasn't until 2018 that I was able to realise my dream through um, somebody who was new to the organisation that worked um, on the digital side and then was able to, because they're more tech minded than myself, tech savvy, um, to find um, the Slavery in the Natural World document and put it all together. And then October 2018, which is Black History Month in the UK, was able to relaunch that. Um, via Twitter first off and um, that at the end of that month we have a museum late and I was able to do my very first tour ever and probably for the museum ever a black history tour um, of the um, uh, main hall the Hinsey Hall um, and um, bring to life those stories that I saw in the document and then adding my other research such as one of the stories about the medicinal properties of Kwasiamara, um, which is a plant um, that Graman Kwasi, who was um, um, enslaved, um, was taken from, from Ghana as a child to Suriname. Um, and there growing up, he um, 
you know, found out from, from the various local indigenous people, medicinal properties of various plants, including this one, um, the Quasiamara one, where um, if you use it and you and you boil it, it it's a bitter tea and um, the properties of that, it's that it can purge intestinal pa um, parasites, reduce fever, those things. But what I found really amazing about this story, and it was a good story to tell, because people can be very kind of um, scared or don't understand what decolonizing means, what the practice means. There are a number of decolonial projects happening um um in various organizations um and there's a lot of talk of decolonizing the curriculum how uh, black history is told um the spaces how their narratives you know to many objects and specimens they're multiple narratives um there's a lot around you know the truth being told um and with that my tool what i wanted to bring into that was not only the um hidden histories and and recognition of people of color and their contribution to the natural history world to science and to um the the commercialization of various aspects such as free medicine or you could even talk about Hans Sloan and and the cocoa and the and the chocolate there from um you know observing enslaved africans in in Jamaica as well and how they used the the cocoa pod there was that um these are stories to tell everybody so that they understand that um, for Europeans and scientists coming to so-called, they say, discover, it wasn't the first time anything was discovered. Mm -hmm. It was just that those Europeans had the opportunity to write it down and to publish and to spread it further afield mm -hmm. in in the world but what i liked about graman quasi that story was that um Carl Linnaeus named that plant after him and around that time there are very few stories that i have found that um credit um a previously enslaved person in that way and also what i find remarkable is that he kept his name as well because a lot of enslaved Africans, their names were changed. Um, but that name was kept. And then you you have this plant that there is a recognition of that person. And people need to know that. Most people will know about Carl Linnaeus mm -hmm. in terms of plants, Swedish botanists, the plants and animal classification. But underneath that all, this is the other hidden out underneath it. You know, what what is the who who is the founder of all of that mm -hmm. and that is that person and that's what my tour does recognizing mm -hmm. those um indigenous peoples and also when i do the tour i don't only bring my profess professional curatorial science person i bring myself my own cultural heritage so my background uh, my parents are from the caribbean and um and you know we will have no doubt roots from from africa as well and 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 people enslaved africans coming from from africa to the caribbean as well and so all of that i i wanted to bring and to bring myself and to be myself when I give the tour. It's not about making anybody feel guilty or bad for anything, but it's recognizing that these are the truths behind it. These are the people that gave knowledge. Their labor was also used in the collecting and is often not acknowledged um, in terms of when you look at a, a specimen label to say collected by, it will often be that, that European um, you know, scientist 
it, it won't be those those enslaved people that were doing the collecting that actually exactly. knew the lay of the land yeah. of where to find things like termites or particular plants. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes. It's fascinating. Yeah. And I think that's uh, what's a really nice thing about story and what you're doing with the tours is making, uh, making awareness about this idea that... Um, Western herbal medicine or Western medicine thing, based yeah. on um, plants that aren't European, mm. you know, it's very much written in the text for herbalism. You know, it might have been discovered by a Western scientist, you know, mm. discovered by a Western scientist in this state, but actually it wasn't. It's got a much earlier, longer history than that, it and it's indeed. really important to acknowledge that and actually yes. understand the plant even more in depth and, and the people That's that right. used it. Yes. It gives you so much more than just. You know, listed in natural history books. Yeah, that's mm. right. So much more in, um, you know, the ways they used it as well, and how they used it. Maybe mm. different, different, different things like boiling or 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 baking or wrapping something else. You know, in the leaves of it. Um, I I know, and and this gives me an opportunity in this tour as well to talk a little bit about my childhood because, as a child. Um, my family from the Caribbean used to send us um, a kind of a bit like food parcels. You're not allowed to do this kind of stuff now. But things like, they used to send us spices. So my mum's from Grenada, so it's known as the Isle of Spice. And they used to send us cocoa beans, um, cinnamon. At the time when you couldn't actually, you couldn't get these things in the supermarket. The closest my parents would uh, uh, would get to actually purchasing things like that were some of the local markets which a lot of them of you know the trade ha has died now and you, you you get you've got an emerging of other kind of markets now um but the old fashioned sort of caribbean markets that they're very few and far between but so we used to get the, the cinnamon sticks and all of that and so on on my tour um when i'm talking about han sloan in particular and the cocoa um, you know, I talk about my my mum used to grate the cocoa bean and then, you know, boil it, you know, with hot water. And we used to call it cocoa tea. And, you know, it's just along the lines of Hans Sloan's drinking chocolate and the things that he observed mm -hmm. those, you know, <laughs> Jamaicans there um, doing the same thing, which he describes as a very bitter tea and it needs a bit of sugar with it and milk and all that. But that's what, you know, my my mum used to grate that and boil that cocoa tea. And we used to add to it um, to sweeten it, condensed milk. Um, the cans really strong, you know, very sweet. And they would use condensed milk in the Caribbean, my mum as a child, because if you didn't have a, a refrigerator in such a hot country, the next thing is tinned goods to keep because your fresh milk, well, you'd have to use your fresh milk straight away because of the heat if you didn't have a cooling box. So they use condensed milk or evaporated milk um, in tins. So that's what, and so I can understand when I'm reading about Hans Sloan and his observations of that um, bitter um, cocoa tea. I, I, as a child, I, I, I remember that myself in these times, you know, many years ago that, oh yeah, and, and there are a lot of, and so this is the thing, you know, there are a lot of um, people with that cultural background that, like you say, those indigenous people have a deeper knowledge of how they use those herbs as medicinal plants when they use them. Um, how they all work they're not necessarily writing it down because this is the other thing um in those cultures 
it's a lot of oral histories that are the value uh, that is of value to them passing down the traditions orally from generation to generation or children standing by the adults and observing how they cook how they use these these medicinal plants that's that's how it is the, the visualization the practicalities of it not necessarily written in a book and that you're going to go to school and read it and so those have to be taken into account now when we're talking about um, decolonizing spaces and or the um, changing the narratives mm. or whatever it's like where we place value it's not just on the handwritten mm. labels it's got to be about everything else with it to give a you know holistic approach um, um, with the oral histories and um, listening to those communities and how they tell you how how they and, and it being valued alongside scientific and kind of practice as well yeah, I think it's uh, valuable not only for people wanting to learn about history, but mm. also for scientists today, because yes. still today, um, this uh, this knowledge that you're talking about is hidden, it is between the mm. lines, and you need an awareness to be able to recognise that. That's so if you're working well. on collections that are historic as a scientist, or as a botanist, yeah. or as somebody that works in the pharmaceutical industry, or, yes, or, or, as, a, or as a herbalist who treats mm -hmm. people in the community, it's so important to get this awareness that there's a lot more than beyond the written yeah, word. Yeah, um, definitely that there's a lot more. And, and we've we've all got to, because we all, you know, we operate sometimes in such these, these silos. We all got to be communicating with each other, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and to be appreciative of the knowledge of the conversation that someone has to bring mm -hmm. to sort of better understanding. Thinking outside of the box, you know, we're all continually learning from one another, mm -hmm. where none of us know everything about about anything we we can we, we some of us are have the advantage of having access to certain aspects of knowledge and books and, and whatever but you know at the same time like you were saying you know the the herbalists their their knowledge bringing in terms of the scientific um and also appreciating how everybody's practice might be a little little bit different and um and maybe not being so, in certain aspects, not being so dominant. You know, museum spaces are places where you come to learn certain aspects of things, but museums themselves still have a lot of learning to do. They don't know it all. You And, um, you know, have to be aware that you're giving a particular view on something and it might not necessarily be the view of your visitor. It would be nice if there was, um, you know, that people could feel um, those, um, you know, from other communities feel uh, at ease to um, have those discussions to kind of change the narratives, um, or correct them, that kind of thing. And feel that they are they are included and represented as well um, within these conversations. It's not a well. I personally don't see it shouldn't be that. Oh, you just bring those communities together just for that project, and then when that project's done, the funding's mm. done. That's why we've got to change how funding is given as well. That um, it's all wrapped up. That's yep. it. That's the end of it. And no, none of the practice, the thoughts, the conversations are embedded to change mm. anything just go away and then somebody has to with other funding again and maybe a new person bringing in another set of people yeah. they 
never reflect on what was there or the documents mm-hmm. disappear or they're sitting on someone's shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, but sustainability. Yeah, of it. That's, that's, that's exactly the word, the sustainability of, that, of, of it all. Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was just thinking, you know, that, you know, our school learning and our work mm. learning is based on all of these scientific yeah, it is. and historic, adva- you know, discoveries and understanding. And that's what our learning is based on. And we really need to, everybody needs to make an effort to look beyond it and actually say, how yes. was this structured? Yeah. How are institutes like museums structured? Question. <laughs> and question it and say, how, what are the other perspectives mm. on it? And actually, yeah. yeah. And you know, perhaps that will hopefully bring a, a better. I I, th- I think so. I think <laughs> so. Future. I mean, it's, it's it's moving in the right direction, but like you say, sustainability of it, mm. and you don't want these things to just become a, a trend and 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 then they kind of die out. You know, you can be exhausted by a lot of this work mm. as well. So it's all about you know collectors of people supporting one another yes. um, to kind of keep this going. Um, and then, and then at some point, I hope that it we won't it won't need so much energy, so much questioning about it. It's there. It's open. Information is accessible. People know how to navigate. It's not just you know museum curators knowing that there's archives and books and bits of paper and and particular people to contact. It's like everybody can know where to go. It's quite interesting that you know in a time that we have, you know, you sort of think the world at our fingertips in the internet that <laughs> there's still a long way to go you sort of think god there's all this information out there but how actually how much it. yeah how you get to it and yeah how to, and just and even knowing that there's something that you yeah. need to look at which is what i yeah. think is so important mm. about your work and i i have to acknowledge that i am so appreciative of the work that yeah. you do and i understand <laughs> that it must be like you said so exhausting to have to mm. always be talking about this because i know you do lots of talks yeah and um, I know I definitely appreciate it. So oh, thank you very, well, thank very you. much. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure. Well, you know, what I'm doing is just sharing sharing my knowledge and my mm. experiences in the hope that, you know, it other things will take off. People will be inspired mm-hmm. by it. Oh, definitely. Um, very inspired by yeah. you. Since I found this, uh, <laughs> it was basically because people. of you that it made me really start to see the, <laughs> oh, the botanical collections oh, in a different you. way from the... Uh, uh, the uh, slavery in the natural world documents mm-hmm. and then your amazing talks and which will link on the website oh, to, for yeah. you for your paper because you did an amazing paper called yes, nature red in black and white yes that's right with Sabadra yeah, das, das which das, we'll yeah. link at the podcast for people to read and uh, we'll link the slavery and natural world documents yeah. and the a bit further reading at Graham and Quasi. Yes, because um, you've done a, a blog. Yeah. Yes, done and some blogs. Um, is there anything else you'd like to to um, mention? No, I think that's about it because I think once you log into um, those various sites, they then link on to okay. a lot of other resources as well. So Maybe Museum Detox? There. Yes, oh yes, most definitely Museum Detox. Um, you can find we're on um, Twitter um, and um, all over social media. We have a website as well. And um, so that group was formed to um, support those that were tired of being one of a few within institutions. So that's black, Asian and ethnic minorities, mm-hmm. professionals with um, in museums and gallery spaces. But it's not just for curators, for for all people of colour, you know, front of house, housekeeping staff there. Um, so we support one another. Um, we challenge institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, lots of things, um, but I think the main thing for me, it's it's great. I wish I had this uh, this group, this collective at the beginning of my career, mm-hmm. but I've got it now, and those coming into the sector have got it. It's mm-hmm. a useful resource, and it's there uh, 
to make you know your professional or working life you wanting to get into the sector wanting to navigate mm-hmm. it as well and and you know at, at the same time of having this group we have got so many great allies as well so it's not just like it's a closed group and you know mm-hmm. this uh, we we have brought we've um, connected with so many allies along the way it's about in you know informing people how we might feel in those spaces working as colleagues but also is that how we portray exhibitions mm-hmm. and and knowledge to the wider sector and and to um the public so um we've got some great allies that work with us too so. i think mean, it's really great museum doctor detox for me is so educational so yeah. i follow yeah, them myself yeah. as well on instagram yeah. and twitter and yeah. very worth everybody yeah. uh having a look thank you so much for today Miranda it's been so interesting and fascinating and hopefully everybody's been inspired um to to read up on the following stuff and at least when they see plants that aren't uh native to your country I mean like Europe and Britain or whoever's listening if it's from somewhere else think about who is said to have discovered it but actually think beyond that and think about the unacknowledged people particularly people of colour and indigenous uh, experts that might have been um, brushed out of history. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, Bye-bye, no, thank everyone. you. <laughs>